Amazon's got everything you need for your dorm. From everyday essentials and clothing to school supplies to bedding so comfortable, you'll sleep right through your roommate's new hobby. Save on all things college at Amazon. Buy one, get one half off traditional Wing Tuesdays at Buffalo Wild Wings? Wing Tuesdays is the best day of my life, every Tuesday. What about graduating valedictorian or the first day of your new job? I mean, those are all great, but they just weren't on a Wing Tuesday. Buy one, get one half off traditional Wings every Tuesday, only at Buffalo Wild Wings. To the greatest of all times. Buy one, get one of equal value, 50% off traditional wings on Tuesdays at participating locations. Not valid with other offers. Size exclusions may apply, while supplies last. Limit one. Delivery and takeout available at participating locations through Buffalo Wild Wings app or website. Fees, including service fees, may apply. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. This week we shall be covering possibly one of the most famous men in British history, and that is Admiral Lord Horatio Nelson. Now, Horatio Nelson is possibly, like I said, one of the most influential figures in British history, one of the most famous men ever in British history. And in the 1800s, possibly the most famous man to walk the planet. Now, what is very interesting about uh, Lord Nelson is he started off in the Navy at a very, very young age. He actually started in the Navy at 12 years old. So this story, what we shall be covering today, is Lord Nelson, from his humble beginnings as a young lad living in Norfolk, which is a county on the east coast of England, growing up in the Navy and raising himself to Vice Admiral, which was his position when he died. Now, we will not be covering the Battle of Trafalgar, and the reason for that is because, like I said, for those of you who have listened and are paying attention to the show, you will know that the Battle of Trafalgar is being covered by me and my father. Now, what we will be doing when that show comes out is I will be putting that show with my father onto Patreon. Now, it will be available for everybody, but it will go onto Patreon for around two weeks. So, once you finish this episode, if you want to head over to Patreon to listen to the Trafalgar episode, if you can't wait a couple of weeks to listen to it, then you'll need to join Patreon to to do that. And the reason we're doing that is because um, I wanted to put it purely onto Patreon, uh, the Trafalgar episode. However, my father is not a Patreon member. So, Dad, when you listen to this, I think you need to join Patreon. Um, But for those of you who aren't on it, uh, like I said, you will have to wait a couple of weeks for the Trafalgar episode to come out. Um, but if you do want to join, like I said, I believe it's only uh, $5 a month. Uh, sign up and you get access to the other shows. So you will get access to the Winston Churchill shows that are on there. You'll get access to a couple of other shows uh, from the Wars of the Roses. And there's some uh, pictures from my holiday. So 
you know, there's a few things up there um, from one of the castles up in Scotland. There's some pictures of that. Um, there will be a lot more going on to Patreon over the next few months. Um, the next episode after Trafalgar to go on to Patreon um, shall be Al Capone. So that will be going up this week as well. So um, for those of you who are interested in proper American gangsters, not the ones that you see walking around now with their trousers around their hips... Uh, and halfway down their legs we shall be covering proper gangsters um, and we'll be covering Al Capone I, mean, I am very tempted to do a um, like a gangster series um, so starting with possibly the most famous man which is Al Capone um, covering some other um, American gangsters uh, Lucky Luciano is one that always um sticks out in my mind um, and possibly even going into um, some of the British gangsters um, so like the Cray twins and things like that so um, if you are interested in in that type of history hit me up get onto our Facebook group um, and just let me know because um, I quite like the, the idea of, of covering a certain subject for a, a period of time so if that's something that you guys are going to be interested in let me know because if you are interested in it then there's obviously a, a call for me to actually do that. Um, obviously, if there isn't, then, well, there isn't. But let me know. Uh, get, like I said, I always say it every week. Get onto our Facebook group. Get onto This Week in History at Facebook. Um, get onto our Patreon. If there is anything, any questions you want to ask me, um, you can direct message me. You can get onto that. Um, the other thing, um, last week, fantastic episode. Really, really enjoyed your, your guys' questions. Um, loved it, really, really loved it. I enjoyed doing that, and I, I love the the reactions that I've got from you guys. Um, so I do want to say, you know, thank you very much. You guys are are wonderful, and you've done a a, a very good job with keeping me uh, keeping me on my toes with some of those questions as well. So I'm very very happy. Um, there has been a new review um, on on iTunes and uh, that has actually come from my friend over at Realm of the Supernatural podcast um, I will read it out, it is a little bit of a, a jokey one um, big fan of history, don't get the chance to read up on it um, so this cast fills my hole and I know exactly what he means by that uh, the way the Viking goes on and on and on is really enjoyable as I like hearing his take on things keep up the good work and that's Solway that's uh, one of my mates over at Realm of the Supernatural so I appreciate the five star review but if you do read that he is uh, he is having a bit of a laugh there by saying he goes on and on and on however I know I go on and on and on and I really don't care because you guys listen and you guys enjoy it so I couldn't care less what people think um, so yeah hopefully you are going to listen to me go on and on and on about Lord Horatio Nelson. So we shall get started with that one. So Nelson was born on the 29th of September, 1758. And like I said, he was born in Norfolk. Now he was uh, one of 11 children and realistically didn't, didn't come from a family of military stock. Um, his uncle was in the Navy um, but his father was a reverend, a vicar, and realistically, he was he wasn't the biggest in his family. He wasn't the oldest in his family. He was one of the middle children, um, a big family. They weren't um, what we'd call a poor family. They were 
sort of middle class ish. Um, they weren't they weren't struggling for money um, like a lot of English at this time. They were they were quite healthy, um, but he definitely didn't have the credentials of a military leader. Now, the advantage in the British Navy at this point was a lot of British officers in the army were actually appointed their position due to their family lineage um, or who their parents were. Whereas with the Navy, it was very much um, a more modern way of looking at things. In, in other words, um, you had to prove that you were the right man for the job. You had to earn your stripes um, from from a young age um you know you had to uh, the young boys um in the navy would have been gun runners um they'd have been running back and forth with the gunpowder and the cannons and things like that on the ships um and that's that would have been how nelson started that's how that would have been how he started in the navy at a very young age of 12 um when he was a younger child so before he joined the the navy um, he was a very sickly child, very ill, not, uh, you know, even to the point that his parents uh, at one point feared that he wouldn't live long enough to be baptised, so, which, you know, as we know, would have been quite a big deal back in, you know, back in the 18th century. So, really, he he had to fight through that. He had to fight through a lot of illnesses as a young child, and that grit and determination that he showed at a very young age is something that stayed with him the entire life right up to his death. So like I said, at 12 years old, um, Nelson decided to join the Royal Navy. Now, he his uncle, like I said, was in the Navy, and his uncle was a captain of his own ship. And he wrote to his uncle and said, I want to come and join with you. And when he was taken on, like I said, he started off with some of the lesser duties... Uh, but he was fast-tracked very quickly into um, an officer's role um, as a midshipman, um, and he was he was sort of treated quite well because of that. But obviously, having that little leg up from his uncle meant that he he possibly wouldn't have been the runt on the ship. He wouldn't have been the bottom of the barrel um, type of kids at that age who normally would be, you know, the last on the ship. So. He uh, he was sort of looked after um, quite well, or as well as you can be. You know, you've got to remember this would have been around 1780, 1770 to 1780. You know, it wouldn't have been a it wouldn't have been a holiday or a jolly cruise. This would have been a real, real hard, dangerous job, um, and you know, something that he probably knew at a young age he possibly wasn't going to survive very long you know a lot of people in the navy you know would have died at a very young age when they saw their first action in battle so when he started with his with his uncle uh, this was around like i said around 1770 1771 around this era and he he started off doing like i said the dog's body jobs and and slowly being fast tracked into things like that but he found out at a very young age that he suffered from seasickness now believe it or not this is something that he never actually recovered from he was always you know he he always had seasickness up until you know his death it was something he never never managed to get over so funnily enough probably the most decorated british naval admiral of all time 
suffered from seasickness. Uh, I believe I read somewhere as well he couldn't swim. So that's you know that's another thing that you sort of just go, wow. You know this guy was in the navy. He was a skinny man. He was not very well built. He suffered from a lot of afflictions as a young child. You know he was a very sickly man, very ill. And, you know, he had seasickness and he couldn't swim and and you add all of this together and it doesn't really create this story of this wonderful sea captain uh, turned vice admiral, turned admiral on his death that, you know, that we know and love in this country. So there is a lot to, to the Nelson story that people probably don't know a huge amount about. So after he spent about a year on his uncle's ship, he was then moved to the Merchant Navy and did a lot of things around the Caribbean, around the, the West Indies, as as we, you know, as they were called or are still called. So he, uh, when he was on the merchant ships, obviously they were less armed. They tended to see a lot less battle, um, and apart from obviously there would have been a few attempts of piracy and things like that around the West Indies. This is where Pirates of the Caribbean comes from, and but he, you know, he saw a lot less sort of battle action but he learnt a lot about seafaring activities he learnt a lot about how the rigging worked how the mooring worked how anchoring and steering and navigating and and things like that things that would have been invaluable to him in later life so Nelson returned to port in Plymouth in 1772 from his voyages out to the West Indies and he wanted to get back out to sea he wanted to get back out there and he heard of an expedition that was off to the Arctic, to the North Pole. Now, for all intents and purposes, the expedition was a bit of a bust. There was no real point to the expedition. Um, a lot of the ships got stuck in the ice and had to wait for them to thaw out before they could leave. It really wasn't a great experience for any sailor on board. However, if you are on our Facebook group, you will have seen a picture of a man fighting with a polar bear now this story was circulated maybe 15 years after that this actually happened and the story goes as this nelson at a very young age would have been about 15 years old 14 15 years old at this point saw a polar bear on these on this expedition to the north pole and he thought i've never seen one of them i'm gonna kill it i'm gonna skin it and i'm gonna bring the fur back for my dad and he went out onto the ice or onto the snow he took aim at this polar bear and the polar bear noticed what Nelson was going to do and as Nelson went to fire his gun locked and misfired and the polar bear was charging at Nelson to which Nelson bludgeoned it to death with the butt of his rifle now whether you believe that story or not is entirely up to you but it does create this myth of how nelson was at a young age it, you know i think it the i don't personally believe that's the that is true but i do think the story creates that um it creates that wonder and that belief that lord nelson or horatio nelson was this great war hero he was this He's a man that single-handedly took down a bear with nothing but basically a club. It was, it created this myth about him and almost how he was 
unkillable and and just the best military leader that we could have possibly have asked for so that's the picture that you would have seen on our facebook group of a man attacking a polar bear with with the butt of a rifle that is lord nelson apparently attacking a polar bear with uh with that but like i said at a very young age at 14 15 years old could he really have overpowered a polar bear with us with a a stick glorified stick i'm not sure about that but you know believe it if you want to believe it there's no historical facts to that other than a story so um i think it's a wonderful story whether it's true or not so later that year 1773 he returned to england and he was sent out again on another expedition this time he was sent back into the royal navy um onto an, an armed ship and he saw his first taste in battle in 1775 and this was in india so um what they what the british did in this at this time was they would escort the british merchant ships in and out of india via the east india company so there was if you ha- have excuse me too much wine um if you do or have watched pirates of the caribbean you will know the east india company very well the east india company was a real company and they worked to protect british merchant ships coming in and out of india and that's what he did he he saw his first taste of battle against a uh, an indian uh, naval ship and you know they won but obviously you're talking here at a very young age seeing um a battle and these battles like i said were very very brutal very dangerous and the chance of death was extremely high so i can't imagine it would have been a nice experience for such a young lad especially at sort of 16 years old now in 1776 which uh, was the year of the tra- <clears throat> i mean the american revolution the traitors uh, and <laughs> the year that happened nelson actually got uh, malaria so whilst we were fighting you guys in america we also had possibly the most famous britain although not at that time um but one of the most famous britons in history was potentially going to die of malaria so you know and and this is the thing to to remember you know you're talking about a man here who has been sent on an expedition to the north pole he's been sent out to the west indies he's been sent out to india um and all of this time you know we're sort of fighting our own war with america as well so there's a lot going on in england around the 1770s and you know not that i'm i'm uh prejudiced or biased or anything like that but i i think um had the british empire focused on one problem rather than three or four problems they possibly would have overcome that one problem and that could have been anything from the revolts in india to the revolts in the colonies uh, in america but they, they they focused more on india because that's where the bulk of um the english money came from at this time you know a lot of the the money came through india it came around the cape of good hope around south africa and back into europe that way and and britain were expanding you know they they owned most of south the south of africa they owned most of well they they owned a up to a quarter of the world at this this time you know britain really was as powerful as as well they were the most powerful country in the world there was no one that could rival them 
um, even Napoleon and France, the you know the great war hero Napoleon, couldn't conquer England. It was it would they they really did have this this history that is just is untouched by any other country in the world, and this is why being a historian from England, how much I love our history because it is just so rich and diverse and wonderful and there's so much to it so in 1776 Nelson really once he'd returned to England really saw his naval career really kick off Um, his uncle had been promoted to a um, sort of a clerical position in the navy where he was in charge of the Royal Navy spending Um, very very high up he'd gone from a captain to very high up in the navy and Nelson was awarded the position of lieutenant or lieutenant, depending on whether you're British or American. And he was, you know, for a young lad, uh, 18 years old, he hadn't done at the time, the time he was promoted, he actually hadn't done his full six year service yet. And he was still promoted early. And, you know, realistically, we all know that his uncle probably shifted the paperwork through a little bit quicker for him. But nevertheless, he was probably the youngest lieutenant or lieutenant in British naval history as well. So 1777, Nelson, now being given his position as a lieutenant, was shipped to the West Indies. Now, he was shipped to the West Indies where England was taking a more defensive role in America in the sense of, right, we've lost these colonies now, they're not taking anything else from us, and they're certainly not taking the West Indies. So Britain set up the naval blockade around the West Indies and captured American ships that that decided to venture too far out of American waters. Now, they did actually capture an American ship at this point, and Nelson requested the ship. He said, can I have this ship as my first captaincy? This was granted, and Amer- um, Nelson's first taste of leadership was actually on board an American vessel. So this American ship was actually called the Little Lucy, and he spent the next sort of six months pottering around the east coast of America, capturing American merchant vessels. He did such a good job that he was actually promoted to a better ship, a Royal Navy ship called HMS Bristol. And this was in 1778. So you can see how quickly he's moved along. 1778, like I said, he's taken over HMS Bristol. Now, this was actually the flagship of the Caribbean Navy. So at this time, the Royal Navy was split up into different admiralties. So you had the Lord Admiral, and then you had Vice Admirals. And each vice admiral was in control of a certain area. So you had the vice admiral for the Channel Islands. You had the vice admiral for Europe, for Africa, for India, for Australia, for the West Indies and things like that. So this was the actually the flagship for the Royal Navy in Jamaica. So he's really, really jumped up a gear here. He is now, you know, holding what we would call probably a second rate or a first-rate ship. So, with with the ships, their their ratings, um, we Britain, uh, well, the whole world at this time rated their ships one to six, uh, one being the most powerful, uh, two, three, four, and the, the the less powerful they are. Um, this this ship would have been roughly a two, um, yeah, probably a two rated, which would have been roughly 
around 70 to 80 guns on board the ship, so 40 either side, and around sort of three to four, maybe 500 men on board. So he really did jump up from the Little Lucy, which was probably more of a sloop or a grade six ship, which would have had maybe 20 or 30 cannons on, similar to what you would have thought from the Blackbeard episode. Those sort of ships would have been a grade six, grade five, grade six ship. Um, so it does really show you how powerful the Royal Navy was in comparison to the to the pirates of the day. So it was actually promoted to the position of captain in 1779. So although he had control of his own ship, um, that he would have sailed under um, another captain. Um, so he he got his first taste of captaincy, not his first taste of leadership, in 1779. This was mainly due to the fact that he was. And a lot of it had to do with his uncle, but mainly it was due to the fact that he was so good at what he did. He was such a good leader. He was such a good seaman. He he was good with his crew. He he really did. You know, he looked after his crew more than he looked after himself, and this is evident in you know all the way up to his death. You know, one of the the most famous things he ever said on his deathbed was, "You know, I'm dying. Don't." To this was to his doctor. Don't save me. I'm gonna die. Look after my my crew. You know, save the ones that can be saved. Just leave me here to die. And this is this is a man. This is what he was like his whole life. You know, he really did. He cared about his crew, and he cared about the people that sailed under him. At the age of 22, Nelson caught another sickness and again was violently ill and returned back to Britain. In 1782-1783, he did a few more expeditions after he'd recovered, and it was said that he held himself like a Royal Navy veteran, even though he was only 22 years old. So you're talking about a man who's done massive amount in a very short space of time. And he was actually requested by um, Admiral uh, Samuel Hood to join his expedition to the West Indies. And this is where Nelson sort of became a little bit more famous he uh he engaged in a lot of uh, sea battles with the french and the spanish around this time and this is where he like i said he became a little bit more famous um the thing with this time period in england obviously we'd lost the war of independence and america and france had obviously created this sort of pact to work together and England, although had lost the land, they really had to show their dominance at sea, and they did. You know, nobody touched the Royal Navy. Um, they literally any French, Spanish, American ships that came anywhere near um, the British islands in in the, the Caribbean were just blown out of the water. You know, the, the the English they they maintained their dominance at sea. Um, the period between the American Revolution and the French Revolution. Um, with Napoleon saw a lot of peace across the world and this meant that obviously Nelson spent very little time at sea but it is also the time where he met his wife uh, a lady named Frances now they they were married they didn't he, their relationship was one of mutual affection rather than love and passion um, they both needed each other and they both 
helped to fill a void with each other. There wasn't really anything more than that between them. So Nelson and his wife, they returned from the West Indies back to England and they lived in Norfolk in his childhood home um, around his, you know, where he was brought up and where he was used to being from. And although Nelson begged the Admiralty to let him back out on a ship and let him, you know, get back to sea, he was not allowed. They didn't have the ships. They didn't need the ships. The ships were in port. And he actually spent the next five years on land, getting very, very frustrated. Um, peacetime Britain, peacetime England meant the ships didn't need to be out there. There's no point in throwing money at ships that don't need to to be there. So, you know, he spent five years being very, very agitated, waiting for his opportunity to get back to sea. So once this had stopped, the French Revolution started. Um, when the French Revolution ended in 1779, 89, sorry, um, he was given command of his ship again. And the reason for that is as soon as the French executed their king, the British went, nah, we're not having none of that. They sent the French that were in England, they went, go back to your own country, we send your envoys back, we send everyone back. This peace treaty's done. You know, We're not having you bring your ideas to this country and kill our monarch, so we don't want nothing to do with you. So that's what they did. They um they disappeared. They, the the French disappeared and they declared war. Napoleon declared war on England and England then sent their navy to the French port of Toulon. Um and this is where Nelson then had his next. Well, he got back to sea. He got what he wanted. He had his next taste of battle. The reason they sent the navy to Toulon was Toulon was one of the the homes of the royalists in France, so the guys who weren't part of the revolution, and they went there to basically to aid them against the French revolutionists. So although they didn't necessarily start a war with France, they they wanted that basically they didn't want the royal family to disappear in France. And the reason for that was, like I said, if they if they can take down a royal family in one country they can do it in another country and they didn't want those ideas to spread to Britain and threaten our monarchy so they aided the French royalists at Toulon Nelson was part of this expedition but he was also sent to Naples um, he was sent there basically as like a peace envoy and to try and drum up a little bit of support for the, the French the French royalists and um, and whilst he was there, he found out that Admiral Hood, who was the man um, basically took charge of Toulon, he heard that the French revolutionists were attacking Toulon. And Nelson took it upon himself to ask King Ferdinand of Naples for 4,000 troops to aid England and the French royalists in this battle. And he agreed. Nelson was given 4,000 men to bring to Toulon to fight alongside the British and French royalists. Now, Britain eventually lost the port of Toulon and that um, pretty much sparked the, the war with France. Now, I'm going to flash forward a little bit because at this point, not much really interesting happens in Nelson's life. However, in 
1797. This is where Nelson really went from just being, um, you know, he was known in public at this point, but this is where he really jumped to celebrity status, I would say. And that is the Battle of Cape St. Vincent. Now, the Battle of Cape St. Vincent is very, very famous. And, well, it's famous in British history. And that is because Nelson did what Nelson does best. And that is basically do what he wants. He's a maverick. He does his own thing. So, Commodore Nelson, now, he's been promoted again. He is involved in this battle. He's under Admiral Jervis. And what they do is they encounter a group of Spanish ships off the Cape, off Cape St. Vincent. And what they do is they form up in a straight line and they punch a hole right through the Spanish ships. Effectively splitting their forces into two. They have a smaller group to the left hand side and a bigger group to the right hand side. And what Jervis then does is once he's split the groups he turns right and turns his ships up towards the bigger group of Spanish ships to take full advantage and every other ship of the line every ship behind the admiral is supposed to follow exactly what he's doing they're all to fire broadsides onto the smaller spanish uh, group and then follow him up to the bigger spanish group of ships unfortunately for the british the wind changed direction and the spanish ships had the wind behind them and were able to escape Nelson spotted this at the rear of the line and turned his ship to face the vanguard of the Spanish fleet head on. On his own, he ran his own ship into an entire fleet of ships on his own. And he put his ship alongside one of the Spanish flagships, um, the St. Anna, St. Annika. I'm sure it was St. Annika. Anyway, he put his ship alongside. It was an 80-gun ship, so it was a Class 2 ship of the line. He put his ship alongside, boarded her, and took the ship. So now Nelson had two ships. So there were two ships fighting against the Spanish. He was, you know, completely unorthodox doing that. Sorry, I've just checked it. It was the St. Nicholas, not the St. Anna. So he's boarded the St. Nicholas, and the next ship, and he's taken that ship... So he's got his ship, then the St. Nicholas, and the next ship that comes up alongside him is the St. Joseph, which is the first-rate ship of the line. It's a three-deck gunship. It's the biggest ship there, and he now knows that he could potentially lose his ship because they would fire on their own ships. They'd rather see it at the bottom of the ocean than in the hands of the enemy. And Nelson goes, Nah, fuck that. We'll board you as well. So he boarded the next ship, so he's not only just boarded one Spanish ship with one crew. He's only got one crew. He's taken his ship. He's then taken a Spanish ship. He's then taken the Spanish flagship. So obviously Nelson has now basically just done this massive heroic thing. But it's against orders. You've got to remember this is completely against what he was told to do. And because of that, when the Admiral was giving his documents back to the Admiralty in London in regards to this battle, he left that out. And that was left out very, very importantly because he couldn't have one of his Commodores doing the wrong thing. The problem is Nelson was not that way inclined and Nelson made 
damn sure that everybody in England knew it. He wrote letters and things like that. He wrote to the papers. And everybody knew in England there were paintings done of this, everything. Uh, that Nelson, the captain of one ship, took two Spanish ships at Cape St. Vincent. And not just took them, he boarded them and took them. So you're talking a ship with maybe 600 men has boarded another ship with 600 men, taken them prisoner or killed them, and then his men have then boarded another ship with anywhere near to a 1,000 men. So he's really, you know, he's really created this image in people's head of this amazing war hero. And this is really his first chance in the limelight, really. So he takes full advantage of that. And this is something Nelson used... <clears throat> excuse me for like the rest of his life he really played on the limelight from the public and you know he always looked for a new adventure a new uh, basically he looked for a new way to kill himself every time he always wanted to go back out to the water and the next um mission let's say for nelson was to besiege the port of calvi and this is where nelson not only became more famous uh he he became more recognizable so to a lot of people when you look at lord nelson the first thing you think of is obviously war hero you look at pictures of him um you can see the scars that he has he's missing an arm um his eye doesn't work there's a lot of very obvious characteristics about lord nelson that in a day and age where there was no such thing as television or social media or anything like that. Your celebrities, you only really knew who they were by the way they looked. And Nelson was very, very obvious when people saw him. So in this siege of um, Calvi uh, in Corsica, he led from the front. And this, like I said, I've said this about British generals and, and British um, officers and things like that. And Nelson was a prime example of this. He led from the front. He put his ship first every time. And, you know, it, this was kind of expected of him as a Commodore to, you know, to put your ship first. But certainly when he got his own fleets and he was uh, Vice Admiral, it was not his job to put himself first. He was supposed to give the orders um, but he still he still carried on he still put himself first and in Calvi he put himself first and he suffered the consequences of that and he was um, he was struck by by gravel actually but it was a French cannonball that hit um, a sandbank and the gravel flew up and damaged the retina of his eye uh, he never wore an eye patch because he didn't lose his eye he just lost the sight in his eye um, and that's, you know, he never regained that sight, and he always had um, a slight droop to uh, his right eye, and it was just something that he had to had to live with, you know. But again, that gave him a recognisable feature to the British public. In 1797, he was given a different mission, and that was to take the port of Santa Cruz in Tenerife. Now... Nelson, in this instance, first sent his captains and obviously 
the soldiers off the ship to set a landing party to Tenerife to siege the town and to take the port. And they were battered away. And when they were battered away, Nelson took that as a as a defeat, which, I mean, it was, but he, he took it more personal because he didn't actually lead the attack. And as far as he was concerned, because he didn't lead the attack, that's why the attack failed. And he then thought, well, I'll do it again, but I will lead the attack this time. In the process of uh, getting his second landing party to the shore, um, as captain or admiral, uh, well, this time he was a commodore, but in the action of drawing his sword, um, he was shot by a musket ball um, just above the elbow, which shattered his arm, uh, went through an artery, and he bled everywhere. Now, his wife, like we've obviously spoken about, she actually had a son um, before she met Lord Nelson, and he is called Josiah, Josiah Nesbitt, um, and he was on this landing party with Lord Nelson, and this gentleman took out um, a dressing and tied it above the wound to stop any blood flowing, um, you know, from losing too much blood. They returned the landing party as a complete failure, and he had to have his arm removed on the ship. Now, in these days, there was no anaesthetic. There was no nothing really. <laughs> it was just pure. We're taking your arm, um, and it's said that after this, when Nelson had his arm amputated, that he said from now on to any doctors that were on board his ships that they were to warm the knife before any amputations because he said that the feeling of the cold blade cutting through your arm was one of the worst feelings ever in his life so um yeah ever since then doctors on board ships were told to to warm their blade before any amputations it's hard to say whether nelson was more affected by the physical damage done at Tenerife in the sense of losing his arm which he so aptly named his fin um, which I thought is quite funny for a sea captain to have a fin um, but yeah he named it his fin but whether it was the physical damage or the mental damage caused by Tenerife that, uh, that affected him the most because in military terms it was a huge defeat a lot of men died he felt personally responsible for that like i said lord nelson was always the you know always cared about his men so this was he felt like he was a bit of a burden he felt like it was his fault um all admirals and captains had to write down a journal sea journal and he even wrote in his sea journal that he led the second attack because his pride was hurt that the first one had lost um you know he he then from then on had to learn to write everything with his left hand so um when you look at letters from lord nelson you can see that they get scruffier as they go along as well so you know it's it's hard to say but he did go into a bit of a depression after that because you know he'd been defeated for the first time in his life 
So Nelson sort of thought that his career was over. Um, but in 1789, the English government heard word that Napoleon had moved his troops out of France, or moved a lot of his troops out of France, um, and he was moving them across the Mediterranean down towards Egypt. And Nelson was sent to find them and destroy them, basically. And he, you know, going around the Mediterranean, he couldn't find them until he actually got to Egypt, where they were anchored in harbour. So, Nelson's spotted the French fleet. He knows where they are. They're in the Bay of Abu Kir. They're near the mouth of the River Nile. And they're in a very strong position. Anchored in, very safe. And Nelson brings all his captains of his other ships on board his and says right this is the plan this is what we're going to do and he talks through his plan with his captains and what he does make very clear to his captains is that they can make a decision in the heat of battle very much like he did at uh, the Battle of Cape St. Vincent but they knew his captains knew that Admiral Nelson, Vice Admiral Nelson, would have their back. You know, if they made that decision to change the tactics at the last minute without orders, that Nelson would have their their backs for that. You know, he would he would back them up a hundred percent. And that is something that was very very new to the Navy and very different. And that is why Nelson was such a great leader um, in the battle. The French, like I said, had a very strong position and they believed that the land side of their ships were very safe um, and that the English had to battle in a straight line. Like most seafaring battles, they were fought in a straight line and the you'd come upside, alongside the ship, broadside the ship and, and then sail away. So... The English, one of the English captains noticed a weakness around the French line and decided to go round the land side of the French, which they were not expecting. And the first four British ships basically went round the outside and had free firing on the French ships. And they inflicted some serious damage on them when Nelson spotted this. He then came the other side of the ships and they just blew them out of the water completely but had those captains not taken that decision to go the land side um, it could have been a very different battle but again like I said this is why Nelson was so good because he did allow his captains of his ships to to do what they wanted to do in order to get the victory I mean it's very important to to know about the the French in this it almost makes them seem like they were a very in, inferior navy and and they were not you know they were they were a very good navy they weren't as good as the british they certainly weren't as good as as nelson but they weren't it, this wasn't a completely one-sided fight the french had just as much courage as the english there is um a very famous picture of this battle of a French captain who had both his legs blown off in the battle um, and asked for a barrel to be propped in and he was his body was placed in a barrel and he carried on giving orders 
with only half of his body there and he bled to death on on the deck of the ship in this barrel so the the french were just as as brave as the english they were just as um you know they it, it, i want them you know i don't want you to think that the english just were unbelievably unmatched that the french were were very good as well so during this battle as well like i said nelson was in the thick of it he was right in the middle and he was struck by a piece of metal um across across his head which bled very very badly a piece of skin fell down over his eye um and you know he actually thought he died at this point he was taken below deck and i mean he didn't obviously he didn't die but you know again a huge he's got a huge now scar across his head um, again just makes him more recognizable really so it's all his all his war wounds that you know all linked together and he was below deck when he found out that the french flagship was on fire so he then went back up to to the top deck to watch basically because at these points um the french ships were, well not just french ships any ships they were made out of wood as soon as they caught fire they stayed on fire and as soon as they hit the gunpowder the ship just exploded out of the the battle of the nile it was complete devastation the next day um you know nelson surveyed just absolute carnage all the french ships barring four actually got away um there were only four four french ships that managed to escape egypt and those four ships were taken by a man named Villeneuve who would be the guy who came face to face with Nelson at Trafalgar so you know Villeneuve had met Nelson before and it does explain why he was such a coward at Trafalgar and we'll go into that in the next episode as well you'll understand why I'm calling him a coward after the battle of the Nile um, Nelson takes his fleet to Naples which uh, is not too far away um, and that's basically just to fix his ships and recover his men and, you know, put, give him a bit of time on land and, and repair everything, all the damage that has been done. Um, it's very important to remember, though, as well, from this battle, although the French flagship was on fire, he uh, he did take some of the wood off that flagship. And that ship actually ended up, the wood from that ship ended up being his coffin when he died. So he was actually buried in the coffin of a french flagship which is quite quite uh i think it's quite cool to be honest but um yeah so he's he's in naples and the neapolitans the local people they absolutely love nelson they love the british they love the fact that they've just beaten the french and this is where his life changes ever so slightly when he arrives in naples he gets off the shore he's greeted by king ferdinand and he's greeted by the british ambassador um, Lord Hamilton and his wife which is Emma Hamilton now for those of you who are ahead of me you will know who Emma Hamilton is Emma Hamilton at this time Lady Hamilton was possibly one of the most beautiful women in the world she was uh, you know the figure of a goddess absolutely stunning and she was 
in love with Nelson. You know, as soon as she saw him, it was a, oh, oh, how can how can you still be alive? And all the the wonder of meeting Lord Nelson. She was absolutely besotted with him, and this man was besotted with her. And you you know you can't really blame him because she was gorgeous, and his marriage was, you know, it was just a marriage for monetary purposes and and status not for not for love and affection so it was uh, a bit of a strange situation they found themselves in so added to this obviously he's he's seen this beautiful woman and he is suffering you know he's he's got his head wound he's he's suffering from really severe headaches and mood swings and you know he's really not a well man at this point but the one woman in Naples who is more than happy to nurse him back to health is Emma Hamilton. And it doesn't take long before the two become uh, intimate. Now, Nelson writes in his letters to Lady Hamilton that uh, sex with her was uh, like nothing he had ever known or that any woman had ever let him do before. Um, now you can you can think that what you will, um, you know you can take that as she was a bit a bit weird, or the fact that they were just compatible. Um, you know he wasn't clearly wasn't compatible with his wife, and this woman, you know they they were. So you know you can look at that in two ways. Um, so yeah, I'll leave that one to your imagination as to what you think of that. Now. Nelson was, through Lady Hamilton, drawn into the court society. Now, what you're going to be thinking is, well, you know, how is that possible? Because she's married and he's married. Well, he, Lord Hamilton, was not that bothered about their relationship. And it sort of turned into uh, a bit of a weird scene back in England. Luckily for them, they weren't in England yet. So in Naples, their relationship between the three of them was not really... No one batted an eyelid at it. And Naples became a very dangerous place. Um, On a side note to his relationship, um, it was actually under attack. It got about four months after he landed. Naples was attacked by revolutionists backed by the French because the French had had a revolution so Naples could have a revolution and the king uh, was forced to leave and he sought res- refuge on Nelson's ships so Nelson took the king and queen from Naples and harboured them on his ships because yes on the land they were at, uh, at risk but at sea um no one touched the British uh, the British Navy, so you know he, the King and Queen of Naples were quite safe on Nelson's ships. So the King and Queen begged Emma Hamilton to use their influence over Nelson, use her influence over Nelson, sorry, and and get the British to help the the King and Queen of Naples. When Nelson returned to Naples, the French had left Naples only left the Nepalese rebels there on their own. Um, Now, they were surrounded 
by Nelson and his fleet and they really were not in a position to to fight for very long and they realized that although they had the land they really couldn't stay there very long um and they agreed to peace terms with the king and the peace terms were we will leave we will board ships and sail away if you don't kill us basically and you can have your country back now the king and queen agreed to this they said no no rebel would be harmed and you know they could they could leave now for nelson nelson was a royalist nelson hated rebels nelson didn't like these people and and what made it worse was these guys were paid by the french they were backed by the french and he didn't like the french either so letting these guys go was he was he was fuming absolutely fuming so they came out of these castles in naples and they went down into the bay they boarded ships and nelson just sat there and watched so once they boarded their ships uh nelson blockaded them he didn't kill them he wanted to but he didn't kill them he stopped them from leaving and what happened every day um the police the army from naples would come onto these ships that were basically floating prisons and they would take some of them off and kill them hang them in the streets uh some very brutal killings as well um there was one uh, there is one account of a dwarf sitting on the shoulders of a man whilst he's being hung um so there are some real like real bad accounts and although nelson you know really wasn't it wasn't his do him doing the killings that uh, he definitely had to share some of the blame for this because you know if it wasn't for him blockading them they would have sailed away to safety so nelson and hamilton they they left naples they you know they they shared a bit of a blame but you know everywhere they went they were the heroes um however in england they were not they were just seen as as an absolute joke um people weren't happy about them they weren't happy about their relationship so they were like i said they were a bit of a laughing stock in england there were cartoons and newspaper articles and things brought out about them i mean nelson was still a hero but now having a a threesome relationship with uh william hamilton and emma hamilton seemed a little bit too much for the british people to swallow at this time um now in 1803 <clears throat> excuse me this all ended when william hamilton died and he could pursue emma in a more legitimate way um they had a child together uh, her name was horatia um obviously would have been classed as an illegitimate child because obviously they weren't married so he um you know he had this relationship with emma hamilton and emma hamilton was the well emma and, and his daughter were the last two people that he he saw before leaving you know before leaving england to sail off in 1805 to trafalgar so he you know his relationship he really loved this woman um and you know it's a very strange life that he led up to this point and you can see you know from his from a young man um he was such a a daring character such a maverick such a just a 
He wanted to be in the centre of everything. He wanted to be the centre of attention all the time, you know. Even to the point of, you know, marrying someone he didn't love just purely for the attention and for the for the, the press for it. Um, and then, you know, making sure that everybody knew about Cape St. Vincent because he made sure that they knew about it. He really... He was... Uh, he was the original celebrity you know he made a point of being in the limelight and i don't think he particularly liked it when obviously he came back to england in in 1800s um, with emma hamilton and was made a bit of a laughing stock but then again i think all celebrities are in the same boat you know there are a lot of celebrities out there who like the limelight when they get it and don't like the limelight when they don't get it so you know he was he was the original one he was uh, the most famous man in England, the most decorated sea admiral we had. He was, um, you know, he was the man, the only man that England believed could defeat Napoleon. He was the only man that England believed would stop a French invasion of England. So, you know, and turns out they were right. So for those of you who have enjoyed this story... And enjoyed the fact that Lord Nelson and, and a story of his life and everything like that. You know, I'm glad I'm glad you've enjoyed it. And if you can't wait a couple of weeks to hear the Battle of Trafalgar, you'll need to get onto Patreon, like I said at the start. Get yourself over there. And the Battle of Trafalgar is going up today as well, the same day. Um it's a, a show I've recorded with my father. Um so yeah, you know, hope you uh, you guys enjoy that. Um, if not, wait a couple of weeks and you will get to hear it on this show. Um, also, this week there will be another episode going on to Patreon, and that will be um, about Al Capone. So, like I said, we're we're going to be doing quite a lot on Patreon now as well, um, as well as the new shows. Um, yeah, hope you've all enjoyed it. Get on our Facebook group for next week's competition, and. Uh, we've got got a few ideas for a few shows coming up so stay tuned for those and just remember guys we all have history so make yours great bye bye in the heat of the moment you're not just keeping it calm you're keeping it cool too with an ice cold cold brew and not just any cold brew but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor with a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows. So you can do this. And this. Doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.